Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Revelation. We are uh, finally back to where we can have an opportunity to study a little bit more. We have uh, been slowly creeping through uh, the study of this very uh, daunting book for so many people. And tonight we come to the letter to the churches. Uh, And uh, we uh, begin by looking at the first uh, seven verses of chapter 2 and it Let's just read it together and have an opportunity to look at that, and then I'll uh, start going through and and answer uh, and pointing out certain things so that you can have a little bit better understanding. It says unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith uh, he that beholdeth the seven uh, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them uh, which are evil and thou canst uh, thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience, uh, patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thy, um, come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, uh, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcome will I give the ear, uh, uh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So, uh, Now that we've kind of set a basis of what we're looking at and some of the uh, the aspects of vision and all, we come to the aspect of actually getting to the part where uh, John is hearing the words of Jesus Christ and the message that he has for his church. And uh, the first thing it says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. And... Uh, what I want you to understand is first and foremost is is that when we look at this aspect of the angel of the church, what this is referring to is um, uh, the word here is angelos, and that word is the word that we get the word angel for, but that is because so many times throughout Scripture, the messenger of God is what we call angel. And it's that word angelos, and um, it is uh, it has a dual meaning. It is the proper noun in terms of 
being or a pronoun uh, being that which describes a uh, being, but it also is a word that is an adjective uh, meaning um, messenger. It, it, it has a, a meaning that, that is other than the word a, uh, angel, and that, that's the word uh, messenger. And so it, it means messenger, it means herald, and so for that reason there are different ones who want to say this is a message of uh, Jesus Christ to the different messengers of these churches. Now there's some that would say, okay, this means that uh, it, let's just go through the list of what this could mean. Uh, first and foremost, there's ones who say this means uh, that there is an angel representative in heaven for each of these churches. And that uh, these are the angels that are responsible for taking the Word of God to uh, the people of God in these congregations. And they are the messengers of God to these churches. And so uh, when Jesus is conveying this message to uh, these angels, He is conveying a message to the messenger who would then go and share the message to the church. Uh, So it is believed by some that this refers to an actual angel, a heavenly being, one who would go and uh, speak these words to these churches. The second uh, thought is is that it uh, the angel here is uh, referring to the messenger of these churches, the herald of these churches, which could uh, be in our common everyday vernacular today in reference to the pastor, the bishop, uh, the one who is in charge of those particular churches, the one who declares the message of God. And so uh, this, uh, when he says to the angels of the seven churches, he's talking about the seven pastors, that uh, uh, the seven representatives of those who share the message of God, the, those who preach in those uh, synagogues, those uh, churches in Asia Minor. And so uh, uh, that's the angel there. Um it, it speaks of, then it says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. So we're talking about one specific church, and tonight uh, it's focused on the church that is in Ephesus. And so we're going to look at a little bit about the, uh, uh, the history of Ephesus and uh, the significance of it and uh, what it meant to the people of that day and age. Uh, one of the important keys to understanding Scripture is not only understanding what uh, is meant by the, the words that are written, uh, and having a proper understanding of, of the message that's given, but uh, also trying to put yourself in the position of the hearer, the one who would hear the message initially. Who is the, uh, this message written to? Uh, like when we read uh, the book of Ephesians or when we uh, read First uh, Timothy or when we read Titus or when we read... Uh, Hebrews to put yourself in the 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 position of the one who would hear uh, that even includes those uh, works that are not particularly letters but uh, when you uh, study 
Old Testament uh, scripture is to not only understand the the uh, the aspect of the history from the perspective of the people of Israel, who this is the history of uh, the Old Testament is the history of those people primarily, but also why is it important that these people remember these lessons from the history? Obviously, there's a whole lot more that happened in the history of Israel than what is just simply written in the Old Testament. So uh, these are the most important aspects of history for the people of Israel that God desires for them to hear. So it's important to place yourself in the position of the hearer and to understand, and also to understand that, uh, that this message is not just for those specific people that it was written to, but it is for us today to understand, okay, why, does God, why did God preserve this message? Why is it important that I understand this message today? Why is it significant for me? And how does it relate to me? What does it teach me that it taught those people and now can teach me today? And so it is with this passage of Scripture, uh, we have to understand uh, why did they pick uh, these particular churches? Now, uh, when it says... uh, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh among the candlesticks. Now who is that? That's reference to Jesus Christ. And we kind of covered a little bit of this in the introduction uh, to... Uh, the the book of Revelation. And uh, so this is not a surprise to you. You remember when I said, uh, when we first looked at this, that this was who uh, this was. It's an image of Jesus Christ in uh, all of His deity. Uh, Jesus Christ in His exalted existence of being the one who holds the, the uh, seven stars. And in the end of chapter 1, it says what the seven stars represented. It says in verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So that hasn't changed from uh, the end of chapter 1 to the beginning of chapter 2. In fact, in the original Scripture, it was all one long uh, long letter. So it, it wasn't broken up. Remember, the, the breaking of the chapters and the verses are things that have been added later to help us in studying the Scripture. It doesn't add or take away from Scripture. It just merely allows us to be able to reference certain portions of the Scripture so that we can study it. So tonight, I didn't have to say, okay, get out your uh, Bible and we're going to start, skip all the way down seven paragraphs and you have to sit there and count all the paragraphs and then, oh, okay, here we are. Uh, It's easier to say chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 6. You know exactly where I'm starting and where I'm ending because of those breaks that have been put in, but they were not originally there. So this aspect of the solving of the mystery of the seven stars was right before the, uh, the words that said unto the uh, angel of the seven churches the angels again are the seven messengers of the seven churches and are the stars of the seven uh, angels of those churches and the candlesticks are the churches so we see Jesus walking amongst the uh, those candlesticks and he's walking amongst the seven churches now 
This, so we understand the meaning of some of these things that we're seeing in the Scripture. Now we have to take that meaning and step up back a little bit and say, okay, what does it mean for Jesus to walk around the candlesticks or walk amongst the candlesticks? Well, the candlesticks were uh, the place of uh, the altar in the in the temple. Uh, that is one of the aspects. But we already have in here an explanation of the fact that the candlesticks refer to the church. So these uh, stars and the candlesticks refer to those things in particular. And so Jesus is uh, seen walking amongst the churches. So it's his presence. His presence is amongst the believers of Asia Minor. And uh, this is uh, what... He's saying he is uh, there walking amongst the churches. He's inspecting them. He's looking at them. He's uh, the role of the priest. Now, remember, the Bible calls Jesus the great what? The great high priest. And one of the duties of the priest uh, and the high priest was is to go into the temple and to make sure the wicks were trimmed and to make sure that there was plenty of oil in the uh, the lamps, the candles so that they could continue to burn. And so what Jesus is seen doing is walking amongst the churches, inspecting the churches, and ensuring that they are in proper health so that they could continue on. Now, this church has been here for a long time. Over a hundred years, right? A hundred and what? 76. 176 years, okay? Okay, we're coming up to 177. Wouldn't it be awful? If we were not faithful to allow Jesus Christ to inspect this church and to tell us what we needed to change and needed to do in order to have another 177 years, should the Lord tarry? Wouldn't it be awful if we came to 177 years and we came to the point where we said, you know, people just don't care about church anymore. We got other things to do. We just need to pack up and close the doors and lock, lock the door forever. That would be a travesty. Jesus' desire is that these churches remain viable, that they remain a witness, that they remain healthy in Asia so that the people of these areas might hear the gospel message and be able to continue to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And, and, to prepare, and more importantly, you have to remember, what is the book of Revelation about? A warning to the people because he's, he's saying... There's coming a time when judgment is coming. So this message to the churches is uh, also a warning. Get ready. Let's get these churches healthy because why? God's judgment is coming. You've got a lot of work coming because you need to work diligently to reach the lost until the time in which God says no more. And so uh, uh, the desire is, is that God would have these churches to be healthy, to be vibrant, so that they can reach people until the very last moment in which God says the judgment comes now. And so Jesus is telling uh, these churches that what they must do in order to, to be healthy. Um, these churches, as I've said before, are churches in Asia Minor. They are not the only churches. There are other churches that are very prominent in Asia. 
Minor, and uh, churches that are very well known at this time, uh, and churches that are uh, uh, very significant. So, why these seven churches? Are these churches the only ones that are doing bad? Are these churches the only ones that need correction? Are these churches the only ones that uh, that are of significance? No. What uh, scholars believe is is that these seven churches represent. All the churches. Remember, uh, you have to understand the significance of the numbers in in a lot of Revelation. Seven churches, seven stars, seven churches. This refers to uh, the seven is a number of completion. So these seven churches are representative of all the churches, seven being a number of completion. These churches are representative of all the churches in Asia Minor. And uh, uh, these seven churches make a circle around Asia Minor. They, if you were to plot their position on a map, you would see that they would go all the way around. And it's believed that uh, they, these churches are uh, located in these places because it, it represents a circuit where an evangelist would go. Uh, remember, Paul was instrumental in uh, the church in Ephesus and uh, some of these other churches. And so uh, they uh, represent uh, their roads that lead, uh, go out of Ephesus and go around all seven of these churches. And some people say they represent uh, the circular pattern of uh, the postal system at that time um, where people would deliver messages between these cities and the uh, route of the courier would go along the roads around these seven churches. I happen to believe that no, it's not just a regular messenger, but the evangelist that would go from church to church, bolstering these churches like Paul did, going from church to church uh, throughout his missionary journeys to encourage the saints, to build the churches, to start ministries, and to go back to them from time to time to help them in their growth so that they can continue to reach out to the lost. And so... These seven churches represent all of them. Now, there's also uh, something that we need to understand about the literary style, the way, the manner in which this is written. This is written in a manner that is, um, it is uh, apocalyptic in terms of dealing with last days, uh, dealing with the uh, uh, the time in which things are coming to an end and referencing uh, prophetic messages. But it's also, uh, so it's a prophetic speech that may be uh, designated as a um, a parenthetic salvation judgment oracle. And what that basically means is, is that uh, this prophetic message, it is prophetic. It is speaking about things that are to come. That is apocalyptic uh, scri- uh, scripture. But it also is the type of scri- uh, writing that is related to um, judgment, that's related to um, uh, salvation, and it's an oracle uh, and, and relates to edicts that are, are given by a higher authority. So these seven proclamations to each of the churches were not meant to uh, be read alone. That's another thing that we need to put in our mind as we start out with this very first one that's written to Ephesus. 
Now, uh, and these are, these are important facts that will come into greater clarity as we go through each of these. Um, and it's important to keep them in mind as we look at each individual one. Yes, each individual church has specific things that was written to that particular church. But the, these, this writing was not meant to be just simply uh, like these first six verses were not simply just for the church in Ephesus. It was meant for all the churches. It was meant that uh, that all the people in Asia would read this uh, scripture to all seven of the churches and get an understanding of how they needed to change their life. Similar to how we read scripture today. We read scripture today and while it's important to remember the original audience and what they must feel like when they read this for the first time to get an understanding of what the uh, writer is writing, but it also uh, speaks to us. And it's not just simply that we read these and say, oh, those poor people in Ephesus, those, those uh, poor folks over in Ephesus, they were poor people. They were, uh, they were people that were doing bad things and shame, shame, shame on them. No, it's a message for all of us to see all these different aspects of these different churches and ask ourselves, how do we f- measure up? How do we look in terms of how uh, this warning message to this church in Ephesus is a clear warning to them, and we'll see that it's a warning not just simply you're doing bad, but uh, listen, when my mom and dad, when I was growing up, if I did something wrong, I don't know about you, but all my mama had to do was just look at me a certain way. Maybe it was your daddy. Uh, I remember in church, uh, uh, I never, um, I never acted out. I never cut up. I never did uh, s- stuff, and that was because my mama sat in the choir, and we had a church that where the choir sat up there during the whole service, and I always sat with my dad. My dad always sat on like the third or fourth pew back from the front, no, second or third pew from the front. And he always sat in the same location. It was really close to the front. Growing up, I sat right beside my daddy. That was where you had to be. Now, I remember as a little kid that first memories of being in church were when my brother was older and he was sitting with the youth. And the youth always sat in the back. They sat in a pew in the back row. And uh, unfortunately, that was so that those young people were, as they were cutting up, they wouldn't be a distraction to the older adults. Isn't that how they usually winds up? And we had a very wise youth pastor that said, you know, these young people are getting a, uh, the wrong message by putting them in the back pew and saying, we know you're going to cut up, so we're going to put you out of the way so we're not distracted. And even for a while, they sat up in the balcony. This church had a balcony, and uh, we're going to put you in it way in the balcony so you don't even uh, interrupt anybody. And that was just giving them license to cut up. So he said he's going to move them all, and he moved them all down to the front pew. And and that said, not only we think it's important for you to listen, you need to be up front and listen, but it also meant that everybody was watching. And and my mama sat up there in the in the sanctuary. I mean, in the choir. And if I ever did, now I didn't do much anything wrong because my daddy was sitting right there. But all she had to do was just give me one of them looks. And I knew to stop whatever I was doing and sit up straight and pay attention. 
what was going on. And it was that way with anything else. That was just the way my parents disciplined. They didn't have to spank me. They didn't have to threaten me. All they had to do was look at me. And that's all it took. And I knew I needed to sit up, and straight, uh, sit up straight and pay attention. These words here from Jesus are that message. Sit up, straighten up, and listen. You got some things that need to be uh, taken care of. You need to straighten up. You need to you need to work them out. And so it was a message for those specific churches for those specific reasons. But it was a message for everyone, and it's a message for us today. It's a message that we need to take into account and say we uh, we need to listen to these messages because we need to make sure that we are doing right. Okay, so Ephesus. Uh, let's think about Ephesus a little bit. Uh, it's not in Scripture here, but Ephesus uh, would have been known by those people who read the Scripture. They would have been aware of the importance of Ephesus. Ephesus is mentioned several times, especially in the writings of Paul. In fact, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus when he wrote First uh, Corinthians. And so uh, Paul spent a good deal of time in Ephesus. And so it was a important Christian cultural center. It was also an important administrative center for the province of Asia. It was part of three very important uh, cities in Asia Minor as being uh, great cities amongst the Asian province of Rome. That was Smyrna and Pergamum. Uh, uh, both of those churches are addressed in this uh, these as churches that are addressed in the seven churches and Ephesus was one of them Ephesus and Smyrna were bitter rivals because Ephesus was a harbor town. I believe Smyrna was also. And, but uh, Ephesus, while it was a harbor town, uh, it dealt in commerce, but not as much. It, it was a strong harbor city, but it, it got more uh, importance from the fact that it was a commercial center as well as a harbor city. And so they did a lot of administrative stuff. They did a lot of uh, trade. And Ephesus uh, was a very uh, important city, the population. Now, when we think, when I was young, I thought of these Bible places and I thought, oh my goodness, this is so long ago. Well, there must have been 150 people in that town, just a little tiny little blip on the on the map. No, there was a lot of places. There was large cities. Ephesus was one of them. Ephesus was a city. Uh, there are records that go back into history of this time frame in which it says that there were 40,000 men. Now, that didn't even count the women and children and slaves that were in the city. So there could have been on the upwards of 200 to 225,000 people in this city. Okay, and uh, the city was about six miles uh, radius. So we're talking about a lot of people packed into a very small location. And because of commerce, because of shipping, because of all these things, there were a lot of people there and a lot of people coming and going. And of course, you also have to remember that that probably accounts for not just the people in the city, but it, it was very, uh, very typical for there to be a city with walls, people living inside the city, 
but uh, the people who lived outside the walls and in the region would be considered part of that city that, uh, because typically what would happen is the, the city would grow a certain size, they'd build walls, and it would continue to grow. And instead of breaking down the walls and expanding the walls radius, uh, what would happen is if there was a threat, a word would get out, bells would be rung, whatever would, uh, you know, horns would be blasted, and people would come running inside of the walls of the city, take refuge there, even though their homes were outside the city. So it was not just that the, uh, all 225,000 people lived within a six mile radius, it meant that that's where uh, that was the. Uh, the um, you know, you go up to up the road here and you hit Albany about the time you, you know, we, we count around the time you hit Procter & Gamble, right? Uh, but uh, there are other people that say, no, the city is actually up there where downtown is. Others would say, no, the city goes all the way out to the city limits. So there's a lot of variances as to what you count as the city. But um, people that live in um, Bakington even count themselves as part of Albany. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. A lot of people, very, uh, very important uh, cultural and uh, commercial center. Now, and Ephesus was uh, important for Christians as well. As I mentioned before, Paul talks about uh, all these different um, uh, things about the church in Ephesus, about his time there in Ephesus. There was a great number of Christians that called Ephesus home. Um, so now... Jesus, uh, I've already said, gives this message to the church there at Ephesus. And um, what does He say to the church there? Let's get back into the Scripture and what it says. He says in verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which that say that they are apostles and are not and hast found them as liars so uh, Jesus begins by saying I know who you are church at Ephesus and he says and as a way of kind of and look if you uh, meet somebody on the street and they say, hey, I know you and your family. And you say, I don't really rec recognize you. And they say, no, 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 you're a, a so-and-so son, right? And well, yeah, okay. And you might, uh, that might indicate that they know you, but they could have probably looked that up somewhere and find that out. And they say, oh, and you've got uh, two brothers and a sister and name all those people. And okay, well, you're getting a little bit closer to me believing that you know me. And you say, and you went to so-and-so school and you uh, back when you were in the third grade, you did this. And boy, you've known me a long time if you know the fact that I, you know, threw up in the middle of lunch one day or... or uh, 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 split my pants while I was getting up out of a chair and, and got all embarrassed in front of all the kids or, you know, whatever it might have been, uh, whatever they might say, they tell you these facts about your life and it helps you to, uh, to, 
to grasp the, uh, the aspect that they know you. And that's what Jesus is doing. He says to this church in Ephesus, I know you. I know who you are. I know what, you're, uh, what you are doing. And he says some of the strengths that you have are you can endure wicked people. You detest those people who come in and say that they are holy. And what he's talking about here is, is that uh, there would be people that would come through the area uh, traveling evangelists that would come through and they would claim to be uh, followers of Jesus Christ and they would claim to have authority as an apostle or someone who was taught by this person or that person. And then they begin to teach other things and draw people away. And one of the things that these people did also was they'd come in and endear them with the con local congregation and that congregation would kind of put them up in their homes. Kind of like we do when we have um, uh, revival speakers come because we don't have hotels like they do in a big town. They didn't have hotels back then. So what they do is they, like we do, we well, hey, come on in. You can stay with us. We got plenty of room and and then you feed them and you take care of them while they're in the area. Uh, well, evidently, there were people that were charlatans that did this. They would say they were evangelists. They'd come in and, and so that people would invite them into their homes and they'd stay with them and they'd be fed and, and given provisions and they would be given money. And so he says, you, this church in Ephesus, you can't stand those people that do that. In fact, you test those who claim to have this authority and you found those who have been claiming to have this authority and you found out that they were liars. And he says, and on top of that, you are very patient and you've endured all kinds of uh, 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 persecution because of uh, the name of Jesus Christ, because of your association with Jesus Christ. You've endured suffering. That's what these uh, verses uh, mean. You've, uh, you've borne and you've been patient. And for my name's sake, you have labored. That means, uh, he says, I know you've been uh, very uh, hardworking and you've done your very best and even in times of hardship and times of difficulty you've persisted you've worked hard sounds real good right now doesn't it it sounds like uh, the church at ephesus is getting a free pass they uh they're they're kind of sitting up straight in their pews and they're saying huh uh, this is pretty good jesus is complimenting us on all these things but guess what when anybody starts complimenting you a lot, be careful. They're getting ready to sock you. They're getting ready to say, you know, you do all these great things and you just, you're just doing wonderful, but... And don't you just hate to hear that word, but? But Jesus uh, uh, here is saying all these wonderful things. And He says... Um, in verse 6, But this thou... Um, uh, uh, nevertheless, verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou, thou hast left thy first love. Jesus says, in all those things that you've done so well, there is one area that I have issue with that you need to take care of. He says, in, in spite of the fact that you've been uh, very diligent in making sure that you know who's out there and who's doing all these things and whether or not they're actual apostles and all those kind of things, your problem is you have lost your first love. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, he explains himself in the next verse. He says, 
well, if they've lost their first love, what's the remedy for that? Remember, therefore, from whence thou hast fallen, and repent and do the first works. So he says, look, what he means by you've lost your first love is, is he says, you've forgotten what it, uh, what it means for you to be forgiven. You've forgotten that you uh, are inheritors of grace. And I see this in churches today. There are churches where people uh, spend the whole time just patting themselves on the back. Oh, I've been a Sunday school teacher for so many years. Or they're one of these people that has... uh, I was in a church one time that they continue... Y'all remember when they used to give out a pen at the end of the year if you uh, were there every Sunday? A perfect attendance pen. Well, there was a little sweet lady in the church, this one church that I was at, and she had been there at at that church for all these years, and she had just a string of these perfect attendance pens, and she was so proud of those perfect attendance pens. Now, uh, the problem was is that her health was failing, and as a result, she was sick. And so there were times where she would not come to church, but she insisted that she still had perfect attendance because every time she wasn't sick, she was at church. I, it kind of spun, spun me for a loop. I was like, wait a minute, you, you weren't here every Sunday. You were, in fact, out you know, this Sunday and this Sunday. And I, I was like, how can we give you a perfect attendance pen? Because you were out. Well, I was here when I was healthy. I was here when I could. Or she wasn't saying these things, the deacon that was advocating for her to get the pen. Well, it was just a tradition that she was getting it. She was so proud of getting these pens. And and didn't want to upset her about the fact that she uh, wasn't going to get a pen. And so what do we do? We gave her that little uh, 15-cent pen to put on her uh, string of pens. But, but we get so wrapped up and perfect attendance or being a a deacon or being a Sunday school teacher, we forget that we're sinners and we're saved by grace. We We need to remember that as much as good as we do, as great a person as we are, as uh, wonderful as, as the things are that we do, we need to remember where we come from. We need to remember that we are sinners and we should be condemned to a sinner's hell, but, uh, but for the grace of Jesus Christ, but for His mercy, the mercy of God that applied uh, the blood of Jesus Christ to us, we would be eternally separated from, uh, from God. And we don't deserve anything that, that God has given us. It's only because of His love. It's only because of His grace. It's only because of His mercy that we are forgiven. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that we are lower than dirt. And we, but but for the gift of Jesus Christ, the blood of His salvation, don't deserve a thing. 
We need to remember that we are not worthy of His love. And we need to remember of His love for us. And we need to turn back to Jesus Christ. We need to continually remember the things that we've been taught. Remember, He says, remember therefore where you've come from. Remember that you are still fallen. And listen, I've been in some churches where there have been some uh, wonderful saints of God that are some wonderful Christians, but... In spite of the fact of how good the Christian they are, they've forgotten that they sin still. And they've forgotten the fact that they too have done wrong from time to time. And they too need to come to the altar and repent. They too need to come and ask for forgiveness. And they too need to remember that all the things that they do are not right. That they need to seek out God's love and seek out God's forgiveness and need to repent when they sin and turn to God and turn to, uh, and allow Jesus Christ to lead them back in the right direction. Allow the Holy Spirit to, to, uh, to burden their hearts when they sin. And Jesus says to this church, you have forgotten that you sin. You've forgotten where you've come from. You've forgotten that you do things from time to time that is sinful. You need to repent and do the things that you did when you first became a Christian. When I first became a Christian, I was just a young boy. I was just about seven years old, seven, eight years old. And I can remember the first thing I did was I had a cousin that I loved going and spending time with. I had a cousin that I cared for so much. Everybody in my family, immediate family, were Christians. But I, I knew that I loved my cousin and I didn't know for sure that he was a Christian. And I immediately made sure that I talked to him and shared with him about Jesus Christ and about my decision. And he was the first person I witnessed to as a young Christian at just a young tender age. I didn't know anything about uh, evangelism explosion or EE or anything like that. I didn't know the Romans road or anything. I didn't know any of those things. All I could tell him was, look, I was this way before. Jesus came into my life and changed me and cleansed me and I want you to be that way. That's the simplest thing. That's all you need to know to witness to somebody. I was destitute and I was uh, headed straight to hell. But God loves me and He sent Jesus to die for me and I invited Jesus into my heart and He has changed me, He has transformed me and He's making me new. And that's all the message you need to share. And anybody, even a, a one-day-old Christian, can tell that to someone else. And, and I'm a testimony of that because I wanted to tell my cousin. I cared so much about him. And I wasn't uh, shy about sharing my faith. And a lot of Christians, when they first get saved, they, they want to tell everybody they can find that they're a Christian. They want to go out and tell everybody what God's done for them. But as you get... Uh, as you continue in your Christian walk, there's a lot of Christians that get, well, we get a little moldy, don't we? We, You know what happens when you leave something in the refrigerator too long? It, it turns into not leftovers, but a science experiment. It grows mold on it, right? There's some Christians that aren't so fresh anymore. They've not been uh, taken out and utilized by the Holy, Sp or Holy Spirit. They've not allowed themselves to go out and to tell others about Jesus Christ, and they've grown a little moldy. 
And we need to remember what it was like when we were fresh, new Christians, and to go and share with others, to be eager to study God's Word, to spend loads and loads of time, hours in, in prayer, thanking God for what He's done and, and just pouring out your heart to God and thanking Him for what you... That's what Jesus is saying. We need to, You need as Christians to turn back to your first love. Remember what uh, it was like when you were first uh, accepted Jesus into your heart. And he says, look, coming to a close, I know hey, you're looking at your clock. It's time to go and everything. Listen, He says... You need to understand, this is the edict part. He said, if you don't change. Jesus is looking at you like my mama used to look at me from the choir loft. If you don't stop what you're doing and change, I'm coming. That's what Jesus said. If you don't stop, I'm coming. And Jesus said, I'll remove your candle stand. What does that mean? Does that mean that you'll stop being a Christian? No. No. What did it mean? Remember, the candle stand represents the church. And so what he's saying is, church at Ephesus, if you don't turn back, I'll obliterate your church. I'll take it away. Don't we see that today? There are people that lose interest in serving God. They become apathetic. They don't come to church. Membership drops off. People, they're not going out and witnessing. They're not, look, there's nothing wrong with being a small church. There is nothing at all, at all wrong with being a small congregation. But it ought to be small because God makes it small, not because you and I are apathetic to sharing the message of Jesus Christ because we won't go out and tell others about Jesus and His love. It ought to be about uh, we, we can have a small congregation but be a mighty force for Jesus Christ. We can be a small body of believers but constantly opening the doors to those who are in need. Let me ask you something. When you, Some of you, when I was growing up, we went to the beach. We went to Myrtle Beach twice a year during the summer, beginning of summer, end of summer. Had a relative that had a, a hotel there and they, she kind of gave us a little uh, discount so we could afford to go. And we'd go and no frills, not even, no swimming pool, not even a bathroom in every room. It was one of those old houses that she'd converted into a hotel and and you were, li- you were sitting, when you were sitting, standing in the lobby, that was her, that's our living room. And when you went back to uh, to the room, those are just individual rooms that were in this house. And so uh, not every room had a bathroom. You'd have to go down the hall to the bathroom and that kind of thing. Was, but it was quaint accommodation. We loved it. We enjoyed going there. But um, I forgot why I was telling you that. <laughs> um, we would go down there and we'd have a good time. And uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Here we go. Uh, one of those senior moments. I know I'm not a senior, but I, I have them anyway. Okay, when we go out to the beach, we go out there, and they had these lifeguards sitting in these towers, and they were sitting there and they were watching all the people. And they, and a lot of times, there's nothing more than a chair. Listen, they didn't have to have a whole 
slew of people sitting in that one chair to watch the water. You had to have that one guy, or sometimes two, they would watch the whole section of the beach, and they'd watch the people on the beach, they'd watch the uh, riptide, they'd watch the, the, the people out in the ocean, they'd make sure that everybody was safe. And when somebody got in trouble, they'd, what would they do? Would they sit there and, and form a committee to decide what they were going to do about the person drowning in the water? No. Would they say, you know, uh, that's, that's something important we need to do. Let's bring it up next month at our monthly meeting. No. They they would uh, blow the whistle. They would jump down off, off of that chair and they'd go racing into the water and they'd get that person and they'd drag them out and save them. We don't have to have a whole slew of people here. We just got to be willing to, to get off a chair and go racing out into the community and save those who are dying and bring them into safety. And if God wants to bring them into this church and make them a part of our fellowship, wonderful. That's another responsibility that we have to enrich the lives of those who come and make this their church and help them to grow, to be lifesavers that will go out and reach those who are dying and get and lost and bring them into safety into the love of Jesus Christ, tell them of His wonderful love, and guess what? Make them lifeguards too and, and help them to know what it means to be a true Christian and then if they want to go and and watch the ocean down here at another church and be a lifeguard down there that's wonderful but we need to be faithful to reach the lost and be faithful to helping grow those who call this their church home but we got to stop saying oh we're so small we can't do nothing oh we're so small we can't help people No, we can run out into the fray and get those who are lost and bring them back into the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. Jesus didn't say you need to build big buildings and have thousands of people be a part of your church. He simply said, remember your first love. Doesn't matter how big a church you are. Your responsibility, remember what it was like when you were first a Christian. Remember what it was like to first experience the love of Jesus Christ and His salvation in your life. Remember what it was like to be excited about sharing the love of Jesus Christ with someone else. Remember how excited you were to be opening the Word of God and learning things and having those aha moments where the light bulb goes off in your mind and you understand what that uh, passage of Scripture meant that you had so much difficulty understanding. Jesus says to that church, remember your first love or else I'm going to take away your lifeguard stand. We don't like to hear the punishment part. We like to hear the grace and the mercy and the love. But we don't want to hear the message of judgment and and the message of punishment when we fail to serve Jesus. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, if you don't listen, I'm going to come and I'll be be taking you to the woodshed. It'll be whooping time. And when I was growing up, all my mama had to say is, you just wait till daddy gets home. I knew I was in for it then. Ouch. Jesus says, you don't do what I've told you to do. I'm coming home. I'm coming and I'm going to deal with it. Jesus says, I'm coming and I'm going to deal with it. And He said, listen, 
He says, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. That's a common phrase that Jesus used. He said, listen, you need to be one of those people that are willing to hear the message. There's a lot of people that are sitting in the churches going, la, 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 with their fingers in their ear, and they don't want to hear any of that kind of stuff. Oh, just tell me how wonderful God loves me, how wonderful I can be. Tell me about how beautiful God's creation is and how wonderful it can be to just simply know God. Oh, la, 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 la. Don't tell me all that bad stuff. But there comes a point where Jesus says, look, you've got to straighten some things out. You're doing some good things. You did some great things. In fact, His message is perfect for a church that's been around 177 years. You did wonderful things as a church years ago, what Jesus says. But right now, you got some issues. Right now, there's some things you got to get right. There's a lot of churches that have been around, done some wonderful things, started churches, sent pastors out into the ministry of the gospel, supported missionaries, did all kinds of wonderful things. But they're not doing it anymore. we got to get it right. As a body of believers, as God's church today, we've got to get right with Jesus Christ. We've got to turn back to our first love. Return. Return. Remember what we've been taught. Remember what Jesus Christ was called us to do. And if we'll hear and listen, things will be fine. He said, if you listen, you turn around, He says, you'll receive the victory. This whole thing about eating of the tree of life, what's that sound like? Garden of Eden, right? The image of paradise is the Garden of Eden for the reader. The reader's saying, okay, yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. For us today, Jesus is saying, you listen and you hear, uh, you'll have the victory. You'll be doing, you'll be in, what we would say today is you'd be in the center of my will. You'll be doing what I want you to do. And when you get to heaven, I'll reward you. That's what Jesus is saying. Because at the end of Revelation, we hear about the tree of life being in where? God's eternal city, heaven. And so He says, if you do as you're told, you'll be rewarded. You'll be victorious. You'll be reaping the reward of being able to eat from the tree of life. And what God is really what Jesus is really is saying in a more deep manner is you do this, you'll be back in a right relationship with me the way I intended from the very beginning. God wants to reward us. God wants to bless us. God wants us to be victorious. But we've got to do some things ourselves. We've got to come to grips with the fact that we have some things to get right with Him. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, there's some things that the Spirit of God can point out to us that we need to do. One of the greatest things that we can do is return back to our first love, our first love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.